How many of you are Back to the Future fans out there? Anybody besides me? Okay. <laughs> 80s movie, Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Um, it, really a classic movie. And the awkwardness of Marty McFly dealing with his mom hitting on him because he went through time back to 1955. It's just really great, Michael J. Fox's character and how they portray that. Really funny. And, well, he messes up his mom and dad's original meeting in 1955. And so he has to orchestrate getting his loser dad, if you've seen the movie, that's a really kind way of putting it, George McFly, back together with his mom. And so this, this awkwardness of what's taking place in 1955 is hilarious. And so all the while, the son is trying to get the dad to ask the mom out. He's trying to get him to have enough courage and guts to go speak to her. And so he, he pretends to be a space alien and, and plays on his fear of sci-fi. Well, he finally gets his dad to have enough courage to go talk to his mom and ask her out. And he walks in the, the coffee or the whatever it was, the cafe, what, whatever you old folks had back then. I can't remember the name. <laughs> diner. I think it was called a diner maybe. I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. And he goes, give me a milk. And he goes, make it chocolate. And, you know, he walks in, he's really bold, and he's going to walk right up to this girl and proclaim his love for her. And so he's finally there, and he goes, Lorraine, I am your density instead of destiny. He's supposed to say, I'm your destiny, but he just walks in and boldly proclaims, I'm your density. <laughs> he's so worked up. And what he's really trying to say is, I am your destiny. I don't know about you guys. How many of you believe there's that one special person for you out there in life? And you want to raise your hand? You believe in that there's one special person? Okay. How many of you think there's just a series of choices that ultimately you make and you end up meeting a person that you marry, you're compatible with? Okay. So see, even in romance, we have Calvinists and Armenians. Okay. <laughs> Some people, either way we go, we can't get away from it. I don't know about, you know, the one special person in destiny when it comes to love, but I do know this. We all share a common destiny. And Kohelet or the teacher as he's known as in Ecclesiastes is going to share about that in Ecclesiastes tonight. And the reality is it's not necessarily a pleasant destiny to talk about, but once we accept that destiny, it really can actually be quite liberating to the rest of our lives. And that destiny is death. Hebrews 9.27 says it this way, that we are destined once to die. And so I invite you to join me in Ecclesiastes 9, and we're going to see the teacher or Kohelet as he talks about death and life. So the first thing we see is that we are all in God's hands in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 9.1. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate, hate awaits them. And I really, I could have included this in verses 2 through 7, but I kind of wanted to uh, make it stand out to us so we'd get it um, and establish that fact moving forward is that we are all in God's hands. It's really the beginning point for much of what we'll talk about today. And last week, I think Ron did a good job setting up this point when he spoke about the idea of rulers and who establishes rulers and authority. Is it us or is it God? Do we truly believe that God establishes those authorities? And now the teacher reinforces this, this idea that it's, it's established by God and we're all in God's hands. Not just our rulers and authority, but all of us. And there's this dichotomy that in our culture in particular between our freedom and God's sovereignty that we often struggle with. In that day and age, people of this writing wouldn't have struggled with it so much. Uh, for most of us, we've, really, we've grown up experiencing more freedom and more liberty than quite possibly any nation throughout history. 
And so there's a lot of positives to that, and I don't want to take away from those. But, but we've been repeatedly taught we control our own fate. As Ron pointed out, we vote people into office, so we control who gets in. We can follow our dreams and become anything we want. And so while I, I love our liberty and our freedom, we, we have to acknowledge that at times uh, it can make, us hard, make it hard for us to admit that God is actually the one in control because it's become so ingrained into us. While often unintentional, Many times we've set ourselves up in this position of God with a little g, of we're the one who controls everything. We're the one who makes all the decisions. It's all about me. And so again, I don't think it's always intentional, but it it just becomes challenging for us to accept that there is someone else greater than us who is in control. People at at the day and age of this writing would have understood a sovereign king and a sovereign God much easier because they lived under this absolute rule and absolute control. Um, We have not grown up with that in the period of a monarch who had absolute rule and total control. And so sometimes it's hard for us to grasp a God who's in total control, who has absolute power. That's hard for our minds, our brains to get wrapped around. But when we can start to understand that we serve a God who is in total control, living for him becomes all the easier. And I think one of the things that even makes God's sovereignty more amazing is allowing for liberty and freedom and yet still not relinquishing or giving up his control. And how does that all work together? I can't explain it. You can read books and books and books, and you'll still struggle to explain that. But somehow God is in total control and allowing us to make some choices in life, and he does not give up his sovereignty. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, uh, he tells of his response to uh, some people who tried to comfort him when his wife passed away. And they told him this. They said, she's in God's hands now. To which Lewis responded, she was in God's hands all the time. We have to make no mistake about it. We live in freedom and liberty, but we are in God's hands. Our ability to make decisions does not render his authority impotent. You know, we, we at times can use that thought of being comforting, of saying we're all in God's hands, but I think there should also be times where it takes us to a moment of reverence, of awe, of fearfulness, really, of this all-powerful God. Sometimes it's good for us to just step back and have a moment of saying, like, man, I need to remember who I'm talking to, this all-powerful, controlling, sovereign God. I don't know how many of your parents have ever told you that. Remember who you're talking to. Like, you get, you get a smart mouth with mom and dad, and they have to give you a little reminder. I got that. I get, I'm sure my wife got it. Um, but we get those moments where we... <laughs> hey, don't take my word for it. Talk to her. We're worried they turn out like her, not me, <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> I got my own issues, but, <laughs> but man, sometimes it's important for us to just remember who we're talking to and remember that we're talking to the almighty, sovereign God, all-powerful. One commentator phrased it this way, the hand of God is not a consoling thought or a sign of predilection, a bias or favoritism. It merely designates divine power from which there is no escape. When we acknowledge God's sovereignty and his total control and understand that, it should drive us to a point in the sense of that fearfulness of God that's talked about throughout Proverbs, even the beginning of wisdom of saying, man, God is in total control. Wow, the awe of that. And so if you acknowledge the sovereignty of God, you know, we, do not, we don't know what awaits us this day or the next day or the day after that. But we can know that we are in the hands of a sovereign God, a God who's in control. And maybe for some of you, maybe that is comforting where you're at in life right now. And maybe for others of us, it needs to kind of shake us to the core and awake us from apathy of saying, we're in a sovereign God's hands. What am I doing? 
How am I living my life for him? I'm reminded of the parable in Luke 12, and in Luke 12, 20 in particular, uh, Jesus says, um, he, he's talking, he says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Our life is in the hand of God. As C.S. Lewis said about his wife even, when she passed away, her life was in his hands all along. Our life is in his hands. In life or death, our life is still in God's hands. A couple of weeks ago, we had a missionary, uh, David. He ministers over in Asia, and he, he went to dinner with myself and Ron, and he brought another man with him named Victor. And Victor's story is amazing. He was in Afghanistan. He had colleagues killed. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm always amazed by people who have such a deep level of faith and trust in God that they're willing to go in some of the most dangerous places in the world to share the gospel and if, and if I'm honest, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm there. I, I would struggle with that. Uh, if, if I'm completely honest, I'd probably say no to that even right now. I'd resist that if I felt God leading me to that. Because that, that's a scary thought. But thinking of people who are so trusting in God and acknowledging that he's in control, they're willing to do that, really blows me away. And as we grow and mature in our faith, we should begin to trust God more and more. And acknowledge he's in control more and more. And we are in his hands to whatever task or mission he calls us to. We acknowledge we're in his hands all along. You know, this isn't the prosperity gospel or the magic genie view of God where we rub the lamp and he does what we tell him. It's us coming before him and saying, my life is not even in my hands, it's in your hands. I'm willing to do whatever you want from me. When we start to acknowledge his sovereignty and his total control and we mature in our faith, we come to him and say, God, you use me. How do you want my life? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Because ultimately, you're the one in control, not I. Next, we see Kohelet tells us this, that we all share a common destiny, and that's in verse 2 through 7. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oath, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished." Never again will they have part in anything that happens under the sun. We're kind of given this list of opposites, and we're told the same destiny awaits all of them. There's no escaping it. Righteous, wicked, good, bad, clean, unclean, those who take oaths, those who don't. We're all going to share in this common destiny that was brought about by sin. No one's escaping that. And that common destiny is death. And, and, and Paul writes about it in Romans 5, and he says it this way in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin. So ultimately, death came because of sin, and now we all share that common destiny that's happened since the curse in Genesis in the garden. Death was God's judgment against sin, but fortunately, it wasn't his answer, his response to it. That was the punishment, but not his answer. So I want you to do something for me real quick. Okay, do this. Everyone take a deep breath in. Ready? Now let it out. You know what that means? You're alive. You are alive. Absolutely. Not a trick question. There's still hope for you, though. We see that there's hope for the living. 
The author of Ecclesiastes says it a little more harshly, but he says, better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Why? Because there's still hope for that living dog. Okay, and in their view, a dog was viewed with a negative connotation. They did not share our affinity for our pets. Like most of us love dogs or we're communists. That's kind of like, right? Okay. So they did not share that view that we share of our love for dogs, okay? Uh, it would have been something that's looked as a street animal that's eating out of the garbage and out of the alley. They, you know, they didn't necessarily love their dogs the way we love our dogs. But he says, better to be this lowly dog who's still alive and still has hope than the lion, the man who's in the position of power, the ruler, the authority who's already passed away. Because if we're alive, there's still hope for us. If we're still breathing in and out, there's hope that we can turn to Jesus. If you're, if you're still alive, there's still hope for eternity. And that eternity is found through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you admitted you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you believed Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave? And have you chose to place your faith in Him alone as the only hope of salvation? If you have not done that, may each breath serve as a reminder that you are still alive and there is still hope for salvation for you. We can say if we compare ourselves to sin, we are that lowly dog lost in our sin, but there's still hope for us to turn to Jesus. Someday, we're all going to share that common destiny that he references of death. It's coming for us all. And some of us, it's closer than for others, and it's not even necessarily an age thing because we don't know. But if you're alive, you still have hope. There's still a chance. And it is our hope and our prayer for you today that today is your day of salvation, of coming to Jesus and placing your faith in him. You know, as we pointed out many times over and over, Kohelet does not necessarily write with overflowing joy, although there could be joy found in his writing. Um, It's a little more uh, thoughtful, definitely uh, a little more introspective. And in his omission of everyone coming face to face with the same destiny of death, he also tells us that beyond death, we're all going to be forgotten. All our accomplishments here on earth will be gone and forgotten and will no longer be remembered. In verse 5 of Ecclesiastes, it said this, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Uh, One Bible commentator said this about verse 5. He said, A graveyard I visited recently illustrates Koholet's point. The graveyard was unkept, overgrown with thick brush and tall weeds, and several tombstones had withered so badly that the inscriptions were no longer legible. For some graves, there was no tombstone, only two wooden crosses with writing that could barely be made out. Ironically, at the entrance of the graveyard was a sign that read, forever remembered. At some point, we're leaving this earth. We're all going to share in that common destiny, and all the things, a lot of these things we've done here on earth will be forgotten. Our graveyards and our tombstones will long fade away and be destroyed. And so I ask, are we prepared for eternity? Are we prepared for the eternal, the life beyond this? First and most importantly, are we prepared for eternity by believing in Jesus? As we said, if you're still alive, there's still hope for you to turn to him. Peter said this about the hope of our salvation in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to God the Father, excuse me, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. While we will all await that common destiny of death, we have a hope of an eternal inheritance. 
something that will last far beyond after we're gone, far beyond after our tombstones are crumbled to the ground, after our graveyard is grown over. We can share in an eternal inheritance that gives us an eternal hope through faith in Jesus Christ. Are we prepared for that? Are we prepared for eternity? And secondly, are you prepared for eternity by living for him? Most of our earthly deeds are going to be forgotten someday, but we can be involved with things here on earth that will last for eternity. What are we involved with that carries eternal importance and eternal weight? Steve Jobs, I don't, I don't think he was a believer, so I'm not illustrating that, but I do think he had a great quote about death. He said, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've encountered to help me make the big choices in life because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of em- embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death leaving what is only truly important. If we can come to a point where we acknowledge we all share that common destiny that awaits us all. Now, he died at an earlier age because of cancer, but at some point we await that same common destiny. We can start looking at what am I living for that's truly important? What am I living for that lasts beyond myself? Even greater, what am I living for that lasts for eternity? You know, we're all going to leave someday. Ephesians 2.10 made a great statement about how we live in Christ. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Are you involved with things that are going to last beyond you? Are you involved in things that will last for eternity? It's easy at times to become consumed with things around us that are temporary. I, I, I say this as guilty as anyone in this room. It's easy to be wrapped up and consumed with the things that are temporary. They suck us in, and we think they're more important than they are. And sometimes it's a good reminder from Kohelet to say, man, am I living for eternity knowing I await this common destiny? Long after you're gone, long after your beneficiaries have spent your inheritance, and they've spent all that you left, and what significance did you make in the world? What eternal impact did you make? After Kohelet talks about this common destiny that awaits us all, he then reminds us we should enjoy life while we can. And it was really nice to have a little change of pace at the end of this passage, um, coming on the heels of acknowledging death, really, that we all kind of wait, await death. But once we've come, come to peace with that, we can have hope, especially if we have a hope in eternity in Christ Jesus, we can enjoy our life once we acknowledge some of this, uh, these other things. So he says this in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. And on the first glance, it almost appears these verses stand in contrast to the earlier verses um, because it's like joyful. Go eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy life. But I think they really, they work in lockstep together. Once we come to terms with the fact that our life on earth is temporary and is not eternal and we're in the hands of this sovereign God, we can begin to find so much more joy in our life. We can find joy even in the meaningless things, as he calls some of this meaningless here on earth. When your family is good and health is, your health is okay, great, enjoy it. 
It's not a bad thing to eat, drink, and be merry, especially if we acknowledge it all comes from God. It's all out of His hand. Because as we've learned, if you've been here through the duration of this series in Ecclesiastes, there's a flip side to that coin. There's also seasons in our life of sickness, death, mourning. The reality is some of you are in the middle of those seasons right now of life. So when it's tough, we go through those seasons of mourning and death and sadness, and we have those. But when life is good, be joyful, be grateful, be thankful to God. Man, I'm in the middle of a great season of life. I can just have joy in my heart and be thankful to him for it. The author contrasts um, what historically would have been used for mourning of uh, black robes and putting ash on your head, and he contrasts that with a white robe of celebration and anointing your head for oil. Basically saying, one more day you're alive. Enjoy it. Enjoy you're alive again today. You're breathing in. You're breathing out. Be joyful of that. You know, we're going to experience different seasons of life. For me, um, just these last few weeks, I've had different seasons. Now, not extreme. I know some of you in here have gone through much more extreme stuff than I have, but um, since I was the one writing this, I'm using it about myself. Um, (laughs) I was reading verse 7 and writing this message, and I thought it's it's really funny how so many times in our life, I I don't know about you, but for me at least, I can pinpoint certain events in my life, and I tie them into certain meals like family dinners or uh, holiday meals. Uh, for, for so many times and so many reasons, it seems like the center point of that holiday or that get-together was the meal. And we even see this in verse 7, this acknowledgement of eat, drink, and be merry, and this tying in of, of food into celebration and enjoyment of getting together with friends. And I just thought over the last few weeks for myself, even enjoying a Thanksgiving meal with my family, um, all whatever, 30 of us that there were there, just having that moment where we all sat down and, and ate together and enjoyed that time together, and then enjoying Christmas Day with family and friends and having a good meal together. And then a few days later, I went golfing with some friends, and the golf was fun, but then afterwards, one of the more enjoyable parts was sitting down and just having a meal together. And so much of these memories and these things are tied to meals and dinners with each other, But then another few days later, what, a different season of life for me, where I got sick with the flu, and for days I didn't eat. Uh, And and like, I I ended up losing, by the time I stepped on the scale after all this was done, and I was down 10 pounds. So it's a great dieting technique. (laughs) Any of you out there want to lose weight quickly, I encourage it. Um, But man, we go through these different seasons of life, right, the up and down. So when, when things are good, eat, drink, and be merry, be joyful. And some of my fondest memories of being joyful are times when I was serving the Lord. When we talk about eat, drink, and be merry, I think this is one of the overlooked ones sometimes, is how much joy we can have as we serve the Lord together, as we partner together in ministry. Uh, Some of my favorite memories of all time, um, one of my favorite meals ever that I've ever had um, was in Tanzania, Africa. And this is just a, a few years after the embassy bombing there. So we're in a location that's not particularly safe, we were eating Ethiopian food, which for me, gross. Um, okay, if you like it, good for you. Others in our group liked it. I thought it was terrible. But we're eating Ethiopian food in Tanzania, so in a place that's not safe, food that I didn't enjoy. It was one of my favorite meals ever because I got to share it with 25 other people who were there serving the Lord together, co-laboring for Christ. And I think one of the best ways we can eat, drink, and be merry and be joyful together is by serving the Lord together and partnering with believers. And that shared experience of that common bond of faith that unites us. Man, there's just something special about those moments that will stay with us in our hearts and in our minds. 
And I would encourage you, man, serve the Lord together, partner with Him, and enjoy those times together of partnering for the Lord. The teacher tells us to enjoy life and our relationships while we can. He says, enjoy your wife, love your wife in the seasons, even in these meaningless days here on earth. Because if we look around, as Ecclesiastes says many times, the days on this earth, ultimately, in, in light of eternity, it's meaningless. The things we do are. But enjoy, enjoy those relationships while you have them. We never know when the Lord's going to end those relationships and people are going to pass away. Enjoy the time that we have together. And then whatever we're doing, we do it for Him. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10, 30 through 31. It says, If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And enjoy it. Are you stopping to smell the roses at times in your life? Do you find time to enjoy your life? Have you found joy in serving the Lord? As inevitable as the changing of seasons throughout our year, there's going to be changing seasons of our life. There's going to be good times and bad, and there's going to be enough hard and difficult times in our life that we don't need to go around looking for them. We don't need to go out of our way to find reasons to be upset and disappointed. We need to find reasons to enjoy life and be thankful we're still alive and breathing one more day. Be grateful to God for his blessing in that because there might be a truly difficult season right around the corner. We don't need to invent things that get us riled up. Instead, acknowledge God's blessing, acknowledge his hand on our life, serve him, live for him, and eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy what you have because ultimately we understand the results are out of our hands. In Ecclesiastes 9, 11 and 12. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. So we really come full circle back to where we started, that this life is out of our hands, controls an illusion. God is the only one who's truly in control. And if you struggle thinking you're still in control and you're still running it all, I, I know, go read a newspaper. Most of us don't even, young people will be like, what's a newspaper? Go read a newspaper, get on your phone even, get the digital edition, go read the obituaries if you still think you're in control. Young, sick, Healthy, old, accidents, on purpose, things happen that is out of our control in our life and people's lives end unexpectedly. Circumstances change that are out of your hands. You lose jobs without your control. We are not in control. The fastest person does not always win the race. We read the tortoise and the hare to our kids and then we think, yeah, but in reality, right? We know who would really win. Things are out of our control. I remember a few weeks ago watching a UFC fight at Dan Phipps' house, and I remember the people I'm watching it with, um, they're saying, oh, this guy has no chance of winning. He's not fast enough. He's not strong enough. This guy he's fighting is faster. He's the best one in the division. He's too fast. He's too strong. And they're barely getting the words out of their mouth, and bam, right in the chin, good night. The guy who was too fast and too strong is on his back seeing stars. And it's funny how things happen that way in life. The fastest doesn't always win. The strongest doesn't always succeed. 
Man, the sooner we come to this inevitable conclusion that we're not in control and God is, the sooner we can experience a greater joy of living for Him knowing He is in control. And so I close with this question. Can you let go of that illusion of control? Can you let that go from your life? One of the purposes of open hands in worship is really a sign of submission to God and, and basically saying, I'm not, I'm not holding on to anything. I, I have nothing that I'm holding on to that I'm keeping back from you, Lord. And for many of us, when it comes to this idea of our lives, we need to come before God with open hands. It's sometimes easy to see it with our possessions or our time or different things, but what about our very life? Are we willing to come before God and say, it's out of my control, it's yours, even my life, I give it to you. My possessions, my family, my job, my relationships, everything I hold important. God, it is all yours anyway. I am not going to hold on to any of it because it is yours. Do with it what you want. You want me to go here and do that? Fine, I'll go here and do that because I am in your hands anyway because you are the sovereign God in total control and I am not. My life is yours. I trust you with it. My life is in your hands. And maybe some of us need to figuratively come before God with open hands and just say, God, use me however you want. And my life is yours. I'm not holding on to anything. And say, it's all yours, Lord. We spoke about this common destiny that awaits us all. In the meantime, I think we can be encouraged to carpe diem or, or seize the day if you're a fan of Dead Poet Society, how they say it in that movie. We're alive another day. There's still hope for us. We may be in despair as they, as they compare us to, to a dog, but we're the living dog. There's still hope for us. There's hope that we get our life back on track. There's hope that we turn to the Lord. There's hope that we can serve Him because once we breathe that last in and out, that's it. We've either turned to the Lord or we haven't. We either lived for Him or we didn't. That's it. At that point, we're the dead lion. There's no more chances. So how are we going to live for the Lord today? Are we going to serve Him? Are we going to follow Him? Are we going to live our life for Him? Are we going to enjoy our life even? Have the joy of the Lord in our life where we can eat, drink, and be merry in those seasons that are good and say, man, God is good. Life is good. He's, he's, I'm in a season of blessing and I'm going to enjoy that. And I'm still going to live for Him and serve Him, but I'm just thankful for it and I'm going to be joyful. Are we going to let go of things and ultimately trust that God is the one in control and say, I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to seize the day for the Lord by serving Him today and doing something of eternal significance. I want to do something that outlasts myself, that even outlasts my kids. What am I doing of eternal significance for the Lord? Man, if we're still breathing, there's still hope. We can make changes. We can live for Him. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that You are a God of second chances and that... No matter where we find ourselves, there is still hope for us because we're breathing in and out. You're a God who can redeem the lost. Um, you're a God who can use people that in so many other ways of life would be unusable. But when we turn to you, 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 you love us. You, you can use us to do these good works you prepared beforehand. May we come to a point where we admit you are the one in control. Give up control of our lives in a sense, even give up our lives. Say, God, how do you want to use me?
and find joy in how the Lord uses us in our lives. Lord, we are grateful that we can have that hope of eternity if we put our faith in you. As Peter said, that incorruptible inheritance. While all these other things are corruptible and will fade away, our inheritance in Christ is eternal and we're grateful for that. Lord, thank you again that you are gracious to us, that you are a God of second chances, and that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.